0: Amen. Hey, as you take a seat, Philippians chapter 1, Philippians chapter 1. If you missed last week, I encourage you to go back online, watch that first week in this new series in Philippians. Rejoice always. Philippians chapter 1. I want to ask a question this morning. One, I want you to meditate on, chew on, flip it over again and again in your mind. And in order to answer the question, you may have to contemplate and consider how you spend your time, your relationships, your resources. Contemplate and consider what takes up the space in your mind and in your heart and in your life. But here's the question. What are you... Living for. What are you living for? When the dust settles, when it all comes down to that one thing or that one person, what are you ultimately living for? Now you might immediately jump to the conclusion: well, I I live for my job, I live for my career. Well, I or I live for my family, I live for my spouse, my kids, my parents. My my children, you might think, no man, I live for my dreams, my goals to have this, to get that. It's my retirement plans. I'm living for traveling, or maybe it's hey, I'm living for me, myself, and I. And what's it to you? Like, I don't know. You might even be drawing a blank, and concluding I have no idea what I'm living for. I go to work. I go to school. I do the routine but I don't know what I'm living for. What are you living for? Now let, let me ask this question in a different way and then add a flip side to it. When it comes to life, what does life ultimately, when it all boils down, what does life ultimately mean for you? And now let me add this flip side to the coin. When it comes to death, what does death ultimately mean for you now i'm not asking your, your perspective on death you may say well i hate death it took my loved one it took this that or the other but that's not what i'm asking i'm specifically asking about your death what does your death ultimately mean for you And if our answer to these questions is not Jesus. If the answer to these questions is not Jesus. Now we may say, okay, sure, like in a cliche Sunday school answer Jesus kind of way. But that's not what I'm saying. If our answer is not Jesus. To live is for Jesus, and to die is to be with Jesus, legitimately and authentically. If that is not our answer, deep down into the depths of our hearts and our minds and our souls, if that's not our answer, then it might mean that our minds, our hearts, and our lives are not where they ought to be, where they need to be, where they must be. And my prayer today, as we see this passage, which reveals the mindset and heart and life of Paul, is that our mindsets, hearts and lives, would be radically transformed, flipped upside down to where we can say with full conviction and authenticity that for us, like Paul, that life is for Jesus, and death means to be with Jesus, So that therefore, like Paul, we would, regardless of anything and everything, we would rejoice always. Because no matter what, Jesus, if life is for Jesus and death means to be with Jesus, then no matter what, it's Jesus. Then no matter what, it's Jesus. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 through 26, this is the title for today's message. For Christ. For Christ. For Christ. And this is what Paul writes, Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. He says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, I want you to know that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Remember, Paul is in prison, most likely in Rome. But what has happened to me has actually served to advance to the gospel. Verse 13, as a result, it has become clear throughout the whole praetorium or the palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of, not all, but most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord. They trust in the Lord. And thus, they're daring all the more to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus, without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry or competition, but others out of good will. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, to defend the gospel. The former, they preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing, the ultimate thing, what it all comes down to is that in every way, whether from false motives or true motives, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, What has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed. I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Now, Diedrich Bonhoeffer lived in the early 1900s in Germany. We've talked about him before. He has an incredible story and journey. Bonhoeffer was this up-and-coming academic and a Christian theological leader. But his life was wrecked in the early 1930s when Hitler took over power in Germany. All was wrecked for Bonhoeffer because Bonhoeffer knew without a doubt Hitler was consumed with evil and meant evil. So he was fully convicted and convinced that he was called, that Bonhoeffer was called as a believer. As a follower, as a disciple of Jesus, he was called to not remain silent in the face of such evil. And instead, he was called to react with words and actions. Such a Christian calling landed Bonhoeffer in prison, in chains. Literally, like Paul, Bonhoeffer was imprisoned because of Jesus, and everyone knew it. But for Bonhoeffer, chains were just a small price to pay for the privilege and the honor and the joy that comes with knowing Jesus, following Jesus, and proclaiming Jesus, even despite darkness and evil, or chains. As Bonhoeffer once wrote in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, he said, listen, Jesus is the only significance. Beside Jesus Nothing has any significance. He alone matters. Jesus alone matters. He's all I need. He's all I want. He's everything. Jesus alone matters. For Bonhoeffer to live was for Christ. What he lived for was for Jesus, for Jesus to be glorified in his body, whether by life or by death. And death merely meant for Bonhoeffer to be with Jesus. So there he was in prison. Time moved on. And only days before the war ended, World War II ended, Bonhoeffer was still in prison, still in chains. The Nazis came and they killed him for refusing to renounce his Christian calling. 39 years old, engaged to be married, and he died. But some of Bonhoeffer's last words were this, this is the end, for me, though, the beginning of life. In essence, Bonhoeffer said and believed what Paul said and believed just as we read, I eagerly expect and hope that I will no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For Bonhoeffer, the answer was Jesus or life is meant for Jesus. Jesus. And death means to be with Jesus. And Bonhoeffer's mindset, heart, and life mirrored that of Paul's, as we just saw in this passage. It was this kind of mindset, heart, and life that enabled and empowered Paul to view his situation, his chains, radically different than most others would view it. Now, just as a quick reminder, as we saw last week, we are encountering Paul in this letter at a time when he is in extreme darkness, He's in prison. He's in chains. These were not glamorous times for him. Yet despite the darkness, what we see in this letter is that Paul is considerate of others. He's content in everything. He's confident for the future. And he's consumed with a spirit of rejoicing, a spirit of joy, and a spirit of thanksgiving. And we might ask, well, how is that even possible? How can Paul have such a disposition, a mindset, a heart, and a life when he's in such darkness? It's possible because Paul had adopted and maintained the same mindset as Jesus, which as we saw last week, is a kind of transformative mindset that enables us to trust and believe that God is with us in the darkness. You're not alone in the darkness. God's with you in the darkness. God is still at work in and through the darkness, and God will inevitably end the darkness. And so, despite the darkness, Paul has this transformative mindset. And Paul's readers are the church in Philippi. And his readers, although they continue to support Paul via prayers and financial gifts to advance the gospel, despite that support, they are poor, persecuted, and petrified at what is happening to Paul and at what might happen to them. So, they also are in darkness. But Paul is urging them in this letter to adopt and maintain the same mindset that he has, that transformative mindset that Jesus had, especially as we build up to chapter 2. So Paul tells them, even in this passage, as we saw, whoa, 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 whoa. You're poor, you're persecuted, and you're petrified. However, I want you to know something. I want you to know that, yes, you may be feeling disheartened. You may be feeling discouraged, you may be feeling dismayed, you may be full of despair at my personal situation in prison, or the public perception of me in prison, or the prison's effects on the proclamation of Jesus, but whoa, 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 I want you to know that rather than what you're thinking or feeling, the opposite is actually true. Don't be disheartened, don't be discouraged, don't be dismayed or full of despair at what is happening to me and at what is or might happen to you. Because listen, my chains are not in vain. As Paul would tell the believers in Corinth, we saw this last week, that our light to momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our light to momentary troubles are not in vain. Our labor for the Lord, especially in light of the resurrection of Jesus, is not in vain. Paul is saying, my darkness is not in vain, and my death will not be in vain. So all throughout this passage, Paul kind of has this one-sided conversation, just back and forth with his readers, knowing what they would think and say in reply to his words and his situation. It's as though Paul imagines them responding with, well, how so, Paul? How are your chains, you being in prison by the government because of Jesus, how are your chains actually serving to advance the good news of Jesus? And Paul says that his chains have served to advance the gospel because people are hearing about Jesus and people are sharing about Jesus. He says the whole prison guard, the praetorium are hearing about Jesus, which is then spreading to everyone. Because this prison guard was an elite military group that was stationed as the emperor's bodyguard. It's like the president's secret service. This is who it is. They were stationed with the emperor as his bodyguard and his family's bodyguard, and they were the only military force allowed in the capital in Rome. The gospel, Paul is saying, has infiltrated the most elite and influential military group in Rome. And in essence, the world. This would be like the gospel spreading all throughout the White House and beyond. And not only that, but other believers, he says, are becoming inspired. Inspired to trust in Jesus more and more and to proclaim the message of Jesus more and more. He says, man, my chains are serving to advance the gospel because people are hearing about Jesus and people are sharing about Jesus. Now, Paul is not saying that the chains are good in and of themselves or that the darkness is good or that the pain is good in and of themselves. It's that God is with him in the darkness and he knows and can see how God is still working in and through the darkness and no matter what, Even as he says later that God will end the darkness, these chains will somehow prove to his deliverance, meaning his imprisonment has become an opportunity. His imprisonment has emboldened others, and either way, his imprisonment will end, whether it's to be back with them again or to be with Jesus so therefore, he's in essence telling them, don't bemoan or begrudge the chains or my situation. Don't be disheartened, discouraged, dismayed, or full of despair, but instead, rejoice. Rejoice. As I am rejoicing, you also rejoice. He said, well, yeah, but Paul, you're in chains. What are you talking about? He says, no, no, I am rejoicing, and I will continue to rejoice, because to me, Life is for Christ, and death is gain. Meaning, I have Jesus right now. And at death, I get Jesus. So either way, no matter what, Jesus. Even if people are preaching Jesus with false motives and with selfish ambition, which they were in Paul's day, and you know for sure, obviously, they are in our day. But even if Paul says, that's the case, Just so long as it's all about Jesus being preached. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit deal with the rest. So he says, I'll rejoice because I have Jesus. And at death I get Jesus. So by the way, no matter what, Jesus. As Charles Spurgeon would later say, listen, death is no punishment to the believer. It's the gate of endless joy. Death is no punishment to the believer. It is the gate of endless joy. Paul knew that death is not the end. For the believer, the follower of Jesus, death is simply the beginning of life. Paul knows that death is the gate of endless joy, of being with Jesus, that death is actually a gain. And he knows he will be delivered. He knows that he will not be ashamed, but that Jesus will be exalted in his body, whether by life or by death. So then why would I not rejoice? Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. However, it brings up a question. Since this is true, why not just eat and drink and die today, Paul? Then why go on living? He answers that question. Oh, trust me, Paul says, my desire is to to depart And to be with Jesus, for that is by far better. However, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Notice how Paul shifts to his clear concerns about them. Because again, despite his darkness, Paul is considerate of others. Content in everything, confident for the future, and consumed with that spirit of rejoicing, joy, and thanksgiving. Paul has that transformative mindset that enables him to trust and believe that God is with him in the darkness, He's still working and through the darkness, and that God will end the darkness. So therefore, Paul is convicted and convinced that he is called to a life for Jesus, Which means for him, it is to remain with them. To live a life not for himself, but for them for their progress, for their joy, to serve them. Paul is convicted and convinced that he is called to serve them and to remain with them, all for them, for their progress and joy. His mindset, his heart, his life, at this time is the same mindset, heart and life, as Jesus in the garden the night he was betrayed. Jesus, in essence, said, My desire, my yearning is to avoid the cross. Father, if there's any way, take this cup from me. He pleaded three times. Yet Jesus was convicted and convinced of this that he was called to this. And that for the sake of us, he went to the cross. And he knew that the Father would be glorified in his body, whether by life or by death. Paul's mindset, his heart, his life were aligned with that of Jesus. He is convicted and convinced of this, that he is called to this. That his darkness is serving to advance the message of Jesus throughout the world, but that he is also called to serve them and to remain with them, all for them, for their progress and joy. So he's ultimately saying this, listen, this is what I want you to know. Don't be disheartened, discouraged, dismayed, or full of despair. My chains are not in vain. However you want to look at it, whatever angle you want to look at it, my chains are not in vain. My darkness is not in vain, and my death will not be in vain. So rejoice, so rejoice. But again, now I go back to the original question. What are we living for? What are you living for? Career, family, goals, dreams, yourself. What does, when it ultimately comes down to it, what does life ultimately mean for you? What does your death mean for you? And if our answer is not Jesus, that to live is for Jesus and to die is to be with Jesus, that for me to live is Christ, to die is gain, if that's not our answer down to the deepest core of our very being, then it might mean that our minds and our hearts and our lives are not where they ought to be. Where they need to be, where they must be. And our prayer needs to be that we adopt and maintain the same mindset, heart, and life of Paul. That like him, our mindsets, hearts, and lives would be radically transformed to the point where we can say with full conviction and authenticity, not just as a cliche, Sunday school, Jesus is the answer kind of way, but that literally for us, life is for Jesus, and death means to be with Jesus. So rejoice. So rejoice. But what about these questions collectively? within our community of believers right here at FBC Enid? Is this what it's all about? Bonhoeffer would say this, the more genuine and the deeper our community of faith becomes, the more will everything else between us recede. The more clearly and purely will Jesus Christ And his work become the one and only thing that is vital between us. In other words, may everything and all things be for Christ, whether by life or by death. May what matters most is Jesus, 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 our lives for Christ. And may death simply be to be with Jesus. With heads bowed, eyes closed, I'm going to invite the team forward. And as you consider that question and contemplate it, if the answer is not Jesus, then what has to change with your mindset? What has to change with your heart? What has to change with your life? For you to get to the point to authentically and with full conviction say, for me to live is for Christ and death is gained, it just simply means to be with Christ. That it's all about Jesus. What has to change with your mindset, your heart, and your life? What do you have to surrender to God? And for others of us, we're full of dis- discouragement, despair, maybe. We're dismayed. But maybe God's just calling us to remember that God is with us in the darkness. He's still at work in and through the darkness. And He's trying to remind you there will come an end to the darkness. So trust Him. Lean into him, surrender to him, follow him. Even as I pray, whatever the Lord is laying upon your heart right now, whatever he's calling you to do or not do, whatever you need to do with that in response, even as I pray, if you need to come down here to these steps, if you need to come talk to Weston or myself, we'll be down here. If you just need to pray right there in that seat, if you just need to worship and sing these songs of truth, whatever the Lord is leading you to do, be obedient in that response. Father, we thank you. We love you. May we collectively get to the point where the only significance, the only thing that matters ultimately is Jesus. May we get to the point collectively where we can honestly and fully say that for us to live is Christ, to die is gain. That we are living for Jesus and that death is simply A gate to endless joy of being with Jesus. The one we were created by and for. Help us to have this mindset, this heart, this life, this disposition. That you might be glorified in our bodies, whether by life or by death. In Christ's name I pray. Stand with us. We'll be down here as we sing this song.